Well, it is my privilege today to introduce you to um, Tim Bryant. Uh, Tim and I go way back. This is actually the first time we met in person. That's right. Uh, as some of you guys know, I'm going through ACBC uh, certification, and Tim <laughs> happens to be my mentor. And so I sit down with him, and we review cases and talk about things. And so he's kind of been instrumental in not only mentoring me, but helping our church walk through uh, the biblical counseling process. And so uh, we're very excited about having him out here. Uh, he's going to do a lot of activities, I think, uh, in this next few days to equip our church and to equip some other churches in the area. And so, Tim, uh, why don't you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of the basics, marriage, kids, and then uh, we can transition to just how you became a, a Christian. Okay, great. First, I want to thank the church and thank you, Pastor Dave. And John Warnley and all those elders and all that got me here. I'm from Low Country Biblical Counseling Center. It's in Charleston, South Carolina. We're very low over there. <laughs> um, but I gr grew up in Chicago uh, area. So I'm a Midwesterner at heart. And we moved to South Carolina when I was 35 years old, which was 20 years ago. If you know the math, you know I'm much younger than I look, right? <laughs> <laughs> or much older. I mean, it's yeah, hard to go gray at, at 30. It is. You know, you look good. <laughs> but my wife is here with me, Erin. Uh, we married uh, 26 years ago. We have four children, uh, ages 24, 20, uh, I'm going to, and 16, and uh, 12. Timmy will be 13 in a month, roughly. So uh, we started uh, as a pastor, really I guess that's where we would begin in some ways. I can share the testimony a little bit later, I think. Is this... can share it. Go okay. Ahead. So um, I uh, grew up in the Mayberry of Chicago, uh, if you can think of Wakanda, it's an Indian name. And uh, at that time... Uh, you actually grew up in Wakanda? Wakanda. You... Like Black Panther with that? Yeah, it was amazing. I, yeah. I have changed a lot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I forget that, that Wakanda is a famous name. Yeah, I know. I, I thought you were kidding, but then I realized you were serious. I'm really serious. Uh, but uh, in, in Wakanda, um, I was uh, always prone to being very fearful uh, I had an older brother who uh, would mess around with me, and we'd he turned the lights off when we were in the basement, that kind of thing. And uh, anyway, I was a mama's boy. I'm saying all these things to to set up uh, how God has ma made me into Black Panther. Actually, that's what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, my nickname in high school was Coma, short for comatose. Because I was very quiet, very shy. I uh, didn't want to be noticed. And at my junior year of high school, um, I begged my family, let me be homeschooled. And my mom said, well, you're going to do it all yourself? I said, that's fine. Let me do it all myself. And she, they did it. And I was a guinea pig for what seemed illegal in that day, homeschooling. And so I was homeschooled my last two years of high school. And it was there that I read for the first time a little book called uh, Christian Living in the Home by Jay Adams. I was a senior. And something came alive in me when I read that. I thought, you mean 
God's word is more than just salvation, you know, uh, just discipleship in terms of just learning how to pray, learning how to memorize, learning how to, yeah, it's actually for living in the home. Uh, and I remember from that point forward, my mother said that I would, I want to say the word carefully, but I would teach or preach things that I was learning about how we needed in this home to do this. So I was not very gracious, maybe at the beginning, trying to fix everything. But that was the beginning. Uh, from there, uh, I went on to do some training, uh, actually, uh, in different things. One thing is I have a vocal performance degree in singing, so that's just on the side. I, I went into music and uh, became, uh, then ended up at John MacArthur's school in Masters of Biblical Counseling. But in between that, um, I got sick in... Uh, I was traveling with a ministry right after college called Life Action Ministries. Maybe some of you heard of it. Nancy Lee DeMoss was part of that and so forth. And um, I got sick, and I had to go home. Uh, I started having from sickness and illness, uh, losing weight, and uh, pretty soon I couldn't shake it. And so I I got nervous. I got anxious. Uh, My default setting came back of anxiety. And I started having panic attacks. I'd go to the hospital. They'd look at me and say, what's wrong with you? You know, you, you have nothing physically. Have you under stress? Well, my mother had died of cancer when she, just two years earlier. And I did have two younger sisters, 10 and 12 years younger than I. And they were at home without me while I was traveling. And my mother, my dad, worked nights. You put all that together uh, and the rigors of traveling night after night after night in a traveling ministry... I got really just run down. And uh, I, it's a funny thing my mother said when I was growing up. She said, honey, you're going to need to get a job using your mind because you've got a bad body. <laughs> Again, back to Wakanda. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, put that in there. Great, thank you. <laughs> so at, at that point, I didn't know what to do. And uh, that was a very challenging time. I went home. Uh, and tried to recover. Doctors couldn't figure it out. Finally, I found a doctor who said, you have candida, you have chronic fatigue, you have uh, leaky gut, you have uh, adrenal fatigue. Um, but it never got better fully. And God used that to lead me to uh, biblical counseling in a personal way. And I was counseled by a brother in Christ whose name is Dr. Ron Alchin, who's a board member at ACBC. And uh, that was life-changing. That rewrote the future in terms of a human perspective. God had a plan. Uh, It did things like taught me how to uh, take control through the Holy Spirit of setting my mind on truth and the glories of God. And um, also it began to expose areas of my life where I needed to grow in purity. It was like a full, complete effect. And that's where... Um, uh, shortly after that, I uh, became a, I went to John MacArthur School and got Master's of Biblical Counseling. And 10 years, I was a pastor, associate pastor. And uh, then I, at that point, um, I was up front a lot doing worship, doing some teaching. We had a shared role in preaching and a lot of, we were team approach in many ways. But I wanted to get down into the the issues of people in a personal way. I didn't want to 
just look out over the congregation and see them struggling and think, well, I'm going to teach you how to get excited about the holiness or love of God. and We're going to teach a Bible study, and that's great. And those are formidable for probably 80%, 70% of the people in the pew or in the chairs. But there's a 20, 30%. Uh, in, in maybe in this church that just that you have to have some intensive one-on-one discussions with somebody who knows the word and loves you and can go maybe 10, 15 times with you over one issue, intensive discipleship. And I wanted to do that. And so uh, sometimes I want to just get back to the ivory tower, but, you know, <laughs> but you're in the, in the thick of it. And you know, you're, you counsel here, you, you do both. And, uh, if you were doing all counseling, you'd kind of be like, I need a little break from that. And if you're doing all this, you might need a break from that. But I think the private ministry of the word and the public proclamation of the word, when it's in a good church, it's going to get the 100%. And that's, that's what we've been doing now for 20 years. We, how did we get to Charleston? Uh, is her mother, my wife's mother, uh, who is a prayer warrior said, you need to come to Charleston and start a ministry. I'm like, yeah, that's a mother-in-law just trying to get us close, right? Which is great now that I'm a, a dad of potential married daughter and so forth. I'm thinking the same thing. How do we keep her here? <laughs> she prayed us there, really is what it was. But I, I said, all right, well, I'll investigate. So the first time we went down for a, uh investigation trip to uh, 16 hours away, uh, we found a church that was willing to uh, let us have an office space. We found a church that was willing to part-time hire me so that as we're developing this, it would work. And we found uh, a lawyer who was willing to put all our paperwork together in a church that was very much like a MacArthur Church. So I, I walked away kind of like, maybe this is true, but I, I don't use signs as all there is to the will of God. And so I sat and talked to Dr. Ron Alchin, center in Chicago, and I said, I'm getting ready to, I think, do this. What do you think? He says, how are you going to pay for it? You know, Ron is very black and white. How are you going to pay for it? I said, well, there's going to be some members of our church that really want us to do this, so they're going to help support us by uh, $900 a month, raise that, and then we're going to make $900 a month at this church, and then we're going to try to do counseling and we're not turn anyone away. And whatever they want to contribute, they contribute and train. Hopefully it's 900 So we'll survive on $36,000. He said, I don't know if that'll work. But, uh, you know, so that's how we started. We had no debt. And uh, this is another reason why it's, I think it's good that we had no debt. God was preparing us. A uh, lot of bad cars, but no debt. <laughs> you know, a good used car. It is. They're wonderful. Uh, we've yeah. had good used cars. We got yeah. some now. Uh, so in the last few years, you know, from your perspective as a counselor, what kind of cases are you seeing with greater frequency, and why do you think that's the case? Yeah. So uh, anxiety, uh, number one, and I would say that uh, though anxiety has always been a, uh, a very high problem in people coming to counseling, it has uh, skyrocketed with COVID and isolation and fear uh, statistics, just what is the number really? And so no one knew what to do, and children in particular. Um, uh, I mean, they're uprooted, their whole normacy. 
And so fear has been a very big issue with them. I think with that, conflict uh, has grown. I mean, we're fighting over everything and, 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 and anything, uh, polarizing, not trying to be forbearing at all, not trying to preserve unity at times uh, because the stakes are high in our mind. And when the stakes are high, when, when policies start affecting your wallet, affecting your family, your well-being, your health, and there's a other side of the issue that you think is putting that at risk, which both sides may feel that way, or seven sides, whatever there are, you're going to start really having conflict even more so in homes. And, and then out of that, I would say uh, just the, uh, the heightened awareness of personal rights, I will say. You know, we're, we're in a society now, even with COVID happening, we, we have a higher sense that I deserve certain things. As Christians, we have a, called something called humility and a trust in a God who exalts the humble. So we're, the humble thing is the wise thing in everything. But without that, if I'm in a society like this without God's care for me and his direction for me, I will have fights, you know? If I am on my own, I'm going to fight. And so you have um, some of those issues of ethnicity uh, warring and, and, and culture differences and um, just really polarizing in, in society. And, and then you even have the uh, male-female uh, debate, you know, uh, which there really isn't biologically, but there's that. So you've got this issue coming up. It's a, it's a bizarre time in some ways to live with truth. What is truth anymore? But um, I will say out of that, how it's affected us most is uh, women, not putting any onus on one side, but I'm just saying this is a reality. Women are divorcing husbands for cases that aren't as significant as you would think. You know, pornography is a sin. Pornography is bad. Um, but more and more what we're seeing is issues like that become divorce issues right away. Um, as bad as if you were to commit adultery directly. Uh, no matter how often the pornography, no matter, it's, it's, it's just a different environment we live in. Um, so those are some things I think are out there. I want to hone in a little bit on, on anxiety. And I think this might be a good chance to kind of show the difference between biblical counseling and psychology. Like with psychology, how you deal with anxiety might be um, medication or exposure therapy. But as a biblical counselor, somebody comes in, confesses anxiety. How do you help them through that? Right. So anxiety, there's a physical component to it that psychiatrists, if you're going the medical route, would have the field in right now in our culture so they would say that you have a chemical imbalance um, and then give you medications to help correct that uh, brain issue uh, psychologists or counselors that are secular trained would look at it as a uh, past experiences trauma things things that you well, not your DNA but your home nurture uh, not just your nature, physical, but your nurture and what you went through and um, those sorts of things. And so they'll, they'll replay the past and try to find in the past uh, answers for why you're struggling. 
Now, sometimes you can connect dots about the past. Say, well, my brother turned the lights off on me in the basement. That's why I'm anxious. Was he an older brother? <laughs> yes, he was. Of course. Did you have an older brother? I was the older brother. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, that's why I don't have good vibes here. <laughs> yeah, right. Wakanda forever. Okay, so your brother terrorized you and you got... So connecting dots. Yeah. You know, psychologists, they, they're trying to help you connect dots in the past. And some people find that uh, enlightening and helpful. That, oh, I'm doing this because my brother this or because my family that. We had conflict in the home. Or, and those can be somewhat helpful, but they're not the deepest part of what's wrong with us. And so you're really covering up solution. It's like, as you've heard the illustration, putting a Band-Aid on cancer or something, you know. Uh, just mo re rearranging furniture in a room or o painting over things that are needing to be cleaned out and changed. And so when we counsel uh, fear, anxiety, worry, I have five questions in fear. And uh, you can write this down in your mind or I can, uh, you can connect with us and we'll give you that uh, assignment online. But it's very basic. One is, um, what's the worst that could happen? So anytime you get afraid, start asking yourself that. Now, you might get more afraid when you say that, but, but let it go. You know, get through that. You want to identify. You want to face it a bit. You want to say, okay, what's the worst that could happen? A um, little uh, counseling, an eight, nine-year-old uh, girl, which uh, boy, either one, but typically a, a female coming in, a mother with her daughter, um, afraid that, in this case, that her uh, parents w were going to not be with her anymore, so she didn't want to go to school. And so she'd pitch a fit going to school. I mean, a fit. It, it would go from pitiable to rebellion, you know, and they could drag her in and all this sort of, sort of stuff. Anyway, so I asked her, I said, what's the worst that could happen? After you get to know her a little bit, not just jump in there, but ask the question, what's the worst that could happen? What are you afraid of happening? And that, that takes a moment because, you know, a lot of people just fear and they don't th think about that question. What is the worst that could happen? So she kind of thought a little bit. She said, well, that I might not see my mom and dad again. I said, now, what's the, why, how would that happen? You know, what's, what's the worst that could happen there? What do you mean you don't see? Well, they could... They could get COVID. I said, okay. So um, what's the worst that could happen if they get COVID? They die. And what's the worst that could happen? What's so bad about that? That's kind of with that one. What's so bad about that? I, I don't mean to minimize it, but just tell me what, what for you, if you didn't get to see them, it would be so bad about that. I would be lonely. Yeah, that is sad. So you kind of identify, get them to think about this is the fear chain. And then the second question is, um, what's the possibility or chances, if you want to use that word, of that happening? What's the likelihood of that happening, of them dying of COVID? And she looked at me. She looked at her mom, which is we all looking at somebody. What is the chances during that time, 2020, right? Yeah. What are the chances? Anybody know? We don't know, but it's scary, you know? <laughs> And we're going to shut everything down. We're very scared here, right? So everything is fearful. And she didn't know the answer to that. Now, 2 Timothy 1, 6, uh, actually 1, 7, I get those two mixed up. Uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love 
and sound mind or self-discipline. That self-discipline thing or sound mind is what I'm getting at with that question. What are the chances? You know, if, if I said to you today, you could die from a tornado going through Kansas, Dorothy, right? If I said that to you, right? Popular stereotype, by the way. I know, I know. I, I told my wife we're driving here. I said, we are in Kansas, Dorothy. This is a place of twisters, which we grew up in that, in that in Illinois in some degree. But anyway, so what are the chances of you dying today of a twister? If you thought it was 90%, I guarantee you would be panicking right now. Or not panic, but be preparing in your way. But you get that sound mind down to where it should be. So that's why I want to challenge that. What's the worst that could happen? What are the chances of that happening? And if it's imminent, I get it. I get why you're afraid. Now let's talk about statistics. Let's talk about realities, you know. I told this gal, I said, why don't you ask your mom what the chances are? I didn't want to do that because I could get sued, right? In this, in this day and age. You'd... Were you afraid of that? I was afraid of that. The worst that could happen, I lose my money and we go bankrupt, right? And the ministry shuts down, other people go to hell, you know? <laughs> That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Anyway, so, that's the, so she looked at her mom. Her mom said, she just kind of did this little, I said, okay, let me give you guys some, some concepts. Do you think that it's uh, absolutely going to happen? Like it's really, really going to happen? Mom said, no. Do you think it's likely to happen? Mom said, no. I'm like, okay, that's good. Glad mom backed me up here. Do you think it's really unlikely? Mom's like, and then the girl, little girl said, but my grandparents died of COVID. It's like, uh-oh, that's a real thing. So she has seen someone die. And so it seems more likely to her. But does she trust mom's view here? Okay, so that's only two into five questions. The third one is the most important one. And that's where I moved to that. And I said, so tell me, uh, who is in charge of that happening? And it just kind of got like that quiet. She looked. And it was almost like her little bitty childlike faith, without me having to say much, just went boink. It didn't change everything, but it started the seed, right? The glory of God's control, sovereignty. So then I gave her a little a list of things to they called Behold Your God, the little sign that we've got on the glory of God's sovereignty. I said, look at those things. Pick four of those, Mom, you and her. Things like uh, um, he calls the stars out by name. Uh, he does whatever he pleases. Uh, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He guides it wherever he wishes. Uh, who can speak and have it happen unless God declared it? Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Uh, uh, he who watches over Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. So you get these verses coming in there, these little phrases of Scripture where God is sharing with us who he is in terms of his sovereignty. Her little faith took hold of that. I said, now I want you to draw a picture of that this week. I want you to get songs about that. And so that really began the change for her and many others, really what I call glory change, where you're the, the glory, uh, the, the fear of death is changed by the glory of God. The two other questions I'm not going to go into, but the fourth one is, uh, what is your responsibility? 
Not what's your concern, but when you're afraid, your responsibility is to go to school. Your responsibility is to get grades. My son, Isaac, who's 24, when he was uh, about 11, he had heard that there was a uh, juvenile delinquent center in the area, and there was a boy that was alleged to have killed his parents who escaped and that was two miles from our house. Small little thing. I don't even think why that's there. So close. Now that I'm thinking of it, we live pretty close to that place. But anyway, so he's sitting there. I said, son, it's time to take the garbage out. Well, it was dusk. It was getting dark. And he just sat there and looked at me. I said, son, you need to take the garbage out. And he wouldn't do it. And I said, what, what's, going, what's wrong? And he said, I'm afraid. What's the worst that could happen, right? <laughs> I die. <laughs> and what's the chances of that happening? And how would you die? You know, well, that guy that, and he wouldn't tell me. I said, this guy that escaped? You're fr- yeah. I said, what are the chances that he's waiting outside that door? He's, he's undercover, but man, he's waiting for Isaac Bryant to take the garbage out. That's, that's what he's doing there, isn't he? And he kind of smiled, but, you know, fear doesn't know logic at that point. But it's good to at least identify it who's in charge of that happening. And that's when I, I said to him. So what do you do if they start giving, like, crazy answers to that? Do you know what I'm saying? What's like, the worst? What's the worst that can happen? And they are absolutely convinced that I'm going to be missing. You know, you, Dad, next time you see my face, it'll be on the back of a milk <laughs> carton, okay? Yeah. Um, because, I mean, there is, like, yeah. people are equipped with the Internet. And they can find all kinds of, like, especially with COVID, Right, where they, you know, the doctor's tone, or because of this, because of this, like they're truly convinced that right. the chance is twenty percent. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah. yeah how, how do you do, how do that? You, yeah, how do yeah. you navigate that? Well, so I'm asking for a friend. Okay. I, I, well, I have said to people, let's ask ten people that you believe are trustworthy. Now they may get the wrong ten. I want you to go ask ten or five. What would they say? Who are the most godly people you know? And let's, let's inventory. Let's find out. Because they're living in the same environment we are, same day we're living in. I, I, maybe there's some godly physicians uh, to talk with. And, you know, you're going to get a split number maybe at So time. why do you have them talk to people instead of do Internet research? Google uh, theology, Google statistics, you know. AI, um, which is an interesting thing to use, chat AI or whatever that's called, but I, I do use it at times. Don't tell anybody that, okay? Not to write a sermon. Right? No, no, you don't do it to write a sermon. But, you know, it, it'll give you, I argue with it sometimes because this is why we don't use it. You know, it's telling me this, telling me that, uh, and it, it doesn't know the truth. It's just giving you the, what someone has told it to say to me. And so it's based on people uh, out there. And who's behind that system? Is it godly people who know the scripture and, you know, have faith in God and go through those sorts of things? But, but Isaac, what, let me tell you what he did. Uh, I said to him, Isaac, talking about your responsibility, that fourth question. I said, son, um, who's in charge of your death date? You know, and he knew that. We had talked about it. So just... To connecting with faith again, out of logic, but then faith in God. And I said, so here's the thing, Isaac. If you stand here 
And it's your day to die. I know this sounds morbid, but it's your day to die. You'll die whether you're taking the garbage out or while you're standing here in front of me. It will happen. Hebrews 9 says it's appointed a man wants to die. Psalm 139, uh, every day is written before one comes to be. But I would rather be doing the will of God and die than not doing it and die. And he got that. So did he take out the trash? I had to go with him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps. That's right. We the got to foot. Yeah. Right. So what's your responsibility? That's what you, and the fifth, fifth question is, if you fulfill your responsibility in fear, this is the best one, what has God promised? You know what he's promised? This is his wisdom coming into play now, not just his power. God in all of his wisdom and, lo- and love for us, he has promised this, that if something bad happens to us, it'll be better than if the bad never occurred. Think about that power, if you believe that. Can you say that one more time for yeah. the note takers out there? Yeah. So, if, I don't know if I can say it again. But if, you know, if, the, if something bad happens, it'll be better than if the bad never happened. That's what God promises those who do his will. I mean, look at the cross of Jesus. <laughs> Father, if there's any other way, I know you love me, Abba, Father. Don't make me go take the trash out. You know what I mean? (laughs) I know I'm going to die out there. I don't want to suffer. Father, I know all things are possible for you, so can we make another way than the cross? But if you're not willing, then let's do it. And his wisdom, the God's wisdom said, this is the best way to get it done. And you'll be glad in the end that we went this way. And so all of a sudden, fear cowers to that kind of confidence in the Lord. And so theoretically and experientially, we've seen that repeatedly occur in people's lives. Now, you have a video that you wanted to show that just kind of explained the ministry and kind of showed yeah. that, gave you some testimonies. You want to do any more to introduce it? No, that's good. Just go okay. ahead. Go for it. Yeah. So somebody could hit the lights, and we'll go ahead and run the video. years has been empowering lives and changing futures through the use of the truths found in God's Word. In 2003, my mom and dad moved to Charleston, South Carolina to start a counseling ministry. It was a big move for us at first, but we made it in faith knowing that God was calling us to serve. My dad was a young pastor, but had such a strong passion to see God multiply in other people's lives. What God had done for his. Some people don't know. But my dad suffered with depression, health crisis, panic attacks, and even addictions. But he was counseled by Dr. Vaughn Alchin in his early 20s. That counsel rewrote my dad's future. His healing led him to completing his biblical counseling degree and ultimately founding the Low Country Biblical Counseling Center. God has been faithful, and we stand amazed at all he has done. So many have found hope and hope. Depressed people have found joy. Anxious people have found peace. Distressed and overwhelmed found comfort and rest for their souls from Jesus Christ. Even hurt and angry kids have learned how to love and heal. The grieving have found hope. 
and purpose through the ministry of the Word of God, and even a place to serve and minister as a result of the pain they have People hurt and abused as children have learned to forgive and not let sin against them define them, but rather find their identity in Christ. The hopeless have found relief by releasing control of their lives to Christ and His callings. Some people who had destroyed their lives through addiction have found a new life never thought possible. I'm now a pastor, ministry leader, counselor, father, and husband to a beautiful wife. Many in relational conflicts have found unity, humility, and forgiveness. Even some in divorce proceedings were brought to a heart change that led to a reconciliation of their marriage to the glory of Christ. Some have been helped by the Word of God and to persevere through tough relational breakups, even in just court proceedings over child custody. I've learned to be wise and overcome evil with good and find Christ to be enough. Pastors have found a counseling center that assists and helps in maturing people and families facing serious difficulties and trials with the counsel of Jesus Christ. What I preach and teach I know will only be further implemented and will not be undermined through the counseling at the counseling center. As a physician, I have found a counseling center that I trust, a place that I confidently refer patients, where they will hear truth which is helpful for all situations, find hope through the application of scripture, and receive encouragement through the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a doctor and a surgeon, we deal with people's pain all the time. And uh, sometimes we can only do so much. I thank God all the time that there's a place that I can send them for spiritual and emotional care that's Christ-centered with counselors that love them. And I just appreciate Tim and his gang being able to help me help others get better from a holistic standpoint. When people come to the Low Country Biblical Counseling Center for help, we take a comprehensive approach to caring for them. We cultivate a relationship with them as Christ would have us do. We gather information from them that helps us to understand them more fully. And we use God's word to give them hope and to help them discern root heart issues behind their struggle with sin and suffering. We prayerfully select the passages most fitting for the needs of every person we counsel. We seek to help a counselee better come to know God. Truths like the sovereignty of God or the glory of Christ's humility have power to change a life when discussed in counseling. With the help of our Lord, the wonderful counselor, we walk alongside our counselees, teaching and helping them learn how to apply and dwell in the wisdom and hope of the Word of God. We're aiming to employ biblical strategies that affect lasting change through the power of God's Spirit. Each year, the Low Country Biblical Counseling Center counsels a thousand people in over 4,000 sessions. We have 20 trained counselors doing this work. I've been blessed to be associated with the Low Country Biblical Counseling Center personally and for the blessing it has been for clients I've been privileged to serve. I've found the center to be a place of refuge for clients needing more than just legal counseling, but clients who also were in great need of God's wisdom and guidance through difficult circumstances in their lives. 
I thank God for the vision that he gave to Timber. I was only five when the ministry first began, and I still remember sitting around the table looking envelopes for support letters and asking God together that if it be his will for the work of the ministry to continue to grow. We are so incredibly thankful to God that so many through the years have supported the work. We couldn't do it without you. It hasn't been easy, but it's been rewarding to see the fruit of changed lives as we minister the word, mentor counselors, and multiply ministries. Because people matter to God and to his glory in Christ. We sincerely pray that the impact and fruit of this ministry will remain and increase to the glory of God in Christ for many years to come, as the Lord wills. As we seek to empower lives and change futures through the counsel of God's word, let us know how we can serve you. All right, thanks, Tim. I love the uh, the cameo with your kids. Yeah. It's kind of giving me some ideas. So. <laughs> That's good. So, um, so obviously, you're, you're in the process of training counselors. What, from what you've seen, what are the marks of a good counselor? Mm-hmm. Like, when you kind of meet with people, mingle people, mingle with people, train with people, you think, I think that guy has, or that woman has, some real potential. Yeah. Well, I will say that, um, not to uh, say it too strong, but it's true that you are an example, and I mean that. Um, and we know we've met, what, 30, maybe 30 sessions or so. Not we haven't met 30, we haven't but met we've 30 covered sessions. 30 of your... Yeah. And I just, I, I am edified every time we meet because the marks, I think, of what a biblical counselor is, is right here. You've got a pastor who preaches and can do that. I was not fishing for compliments, but keep no, going. I, I, right, okay. <laughs> no, but I think you've got... Uh, you know, you've got compassion is important, that you really love people. Uh, you have also the need in biblical counseling to interpret, try to biblically interpret what's going on as you don't jump in there and judge and quickly tell them they're so wrong for them believing that it was their brother that shut the lights off is the reason they're struggling, you know, all that stuff. You're, you're very careful, a person in biblical counseling has to be careful to speak truth and get to truth, but do it in love. And let love tell you the pace in which you're doing this. Because Jesus said to his disciples, you can't handle the things I have to share. And that's what it many times is, isn't it? We can't handle. You know, I mean, kind of building on that, yeah. I mean, what are some rookie mistakes that counselors make? Yeah. Jump into conclusions is number one. The survey says number one. You say, oh, I've seen this before. I know exactly your problem. You know, Well, every problem has significant particulars that are different that you have to be careful of. Or, oh, I've experienced this. I know I can. And if they think that you haven't heard their situation and you, ha- and you don't identify with it, if they don't believe you have identified and really got the information you need, uh, they're not going to trust your counsel, no matter how good it is. You could be like, I got this treasure full of counsel to give. But if they think, oh, he's just rushing through the process of getting the information, uh, then you're not going to get anywhere uh, in them trusting, not just that you're competent to counsel, but that you actually know what you're counseling in front of you. you know? So that's a very common mistake. I think um, 
one that I have tried to focus on here lately is uh, dispensing uh, scripture or homework without the counselee, really a person you're counseling, really knowing why. You know, they really don't get your view of the problem. Uh, you might be saying, hey, let's talk about the sovereignty of God. And they have no clue how that connects to their anxiety. You have to really do the work of identifying before you can interpret in their minds and their hearts what's going on. I think of that as the Holy Spirit bringing uh, uh, enlightenment in your counseling or conviction uh, so that then they need the work of God. Until they need it, you know, you're just spouting off little check boxes, which is the final thing that I'll say I think maybe would be the greatest problem is that we don't pray enough for those we counsel. I think that's not a rookie mistake. I think that's a veteran mistake. I think we all wrestle to say, oh, we've got our formulas, we've got our assignments, and that's good. We've needed, that's part of the process of change is articulating all that, but, but we are way over our heads. People that I, that I mentor sometimes say, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, sometimes I don't either, but God does, and we've got a book, and we're going to get better at it. We're going to get better at using this word of God to minister. So I think those are some mistakes we don't avoid. So what are some things that every full-time biblical counselor wishes that people knew about them? Uh, let's think about that one a bit. Now, what are some things? Say that one more time. Think. What are some things that you that a biblical counselor wishes others knew oh, about? Yeah. For instance, like... As a pastor, people get nervous around me. Yeah. When I say I'm a pastor, I can tell they pause for 10 seconds reviewing their conversation, making sure they didn't yeah. cuss, and then they're really, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just kind of a normal guy. Yes. It's all right. I'm not, I'm not here to point the finger. Yeah. Do you ever, you know what I'm saying? So if I find out you're a biblical counselor, yeah. there might be a tendency for people to treat you differently or right. to look at you differently. Right. Well, sometimes it'll be, a, like you're saying, in the negative sense. And so I think for me personally, I want people not to look at me as just having all the answers because they will be quick to not trust that I'm dealing with the person in front of me, not some theory I've got, and, and that I'm not uh, psychoanalyzing them, you know, uh, that I'm not uh, overcritical, that I am not going to hit them over the head with the Bible, you know. Uh, that I'm not anti-medication. Um, I'm not for it un unwisely, and I think it's over-prescribed often, and I'd like to see spiritual needs met before we just jump in there and try. So there's a lot of things like that, I think. And also um, that uh, I'm in the process of becoming more like Christ uh, in the last 24 hours. Uh, you can see evidence of me needing to grow more like Christ. Um, I would hope that I have been better in the last five years, you know, over time, progressively. But uh, there's a certain standard of qualifications that you want, you need to meet in biblical counseling, but it's not perfection. It's progression, and it's where the leaders of your church would say, you have not only the qualifications character-wise, but you have some ministry experience that we want to affirm that this level of your training, 
or your involvement in this very, very personalized ministry is, can be done here. You're, you're qualified. So we're not perfect, but we're progressing, and enough progression that we can help another get there, you know, at least know some things about how change happens. So what, what are some misperceptions about biblical counseling? Um, and, and some of it is maybe you can even go through the history from Jay Adams when he began yeah. to where it is now. Sure. Yeah. Well, I said some of them already, but, uh, you know, as far as it's not compassionate, um, it's anti-medication. Those are some very basic ones. But I will say one I think is more relevant today than even those because those kind of have been fought, not completely won, but I think we've, we've changed some of our PR on those, what we really mean to the, what we want to say to people. It is that it's shallow. It's shallow. That, uh, look, we have millions of psychologists uh, that we've studied this. Uh, these are the secular. We have the, the, the cognitive behavioral therapy. We have the new methods. We have all of these traumatic. We do all this. And these are very smart, gifted by God people to observe behavior and understand it, uh, many of them. And they've come up with, we've got manuals, you know, and you've got what? One book. You know, and then, well, no, we got other books too, but, but, the, but you don't have the science like we do. So those are some stereotypes. And, um, you know, you can spend all your life fighting that uh, argument, or you can just demonstrate <laughs> that it works. And uh, we have demonstrated, I think, and those who counsel biblically, if you're doing it the right way, your results speak for themselves. Um, and when you think about change in a biblical sense, it isn't only scientific in terms of we can quantify the change, we can do outcome studies, we can do all those things. We can have methodologies, uh, which we're going to talk about today in the sermon, some of that. But, uh, but I give you the five questions in fear, there's a method, you know. But... This kind of change is beyond science in one sense. It is miraculous. It, it, can I use this word as transcendent? A transcendent God who goes beyond our understanding has to reveal himself to the unseen human heart in ways that no other counseling can do. We have the word of God and the spirit of God who communicates the glory of God, you know, to the human heart. It's transcendent. It's unexplainable, but yet it's quantifiable. It's deep. It's more profound. So is there a place for psychology, for a biblical counselor? That's the, can, it, can it be helpful at all? Well, I think um, that's a difficult question. Usually when I'm talking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, I can kind of identify where they're going and where they want to be with that question. But if you're someone here today that you say, hey, I want to help people, there's really only one reason mainly that uh, you would, in my opinion, want to be leaning towards psychology. It's the main one. It's not the only one, but it's the main one. Is because you can get financed from insurance. I know that sounds shallow, but it's it, there is a reality to that. Biblical counselors don't. The insurance companies uh, say we're not the authority on it. We're going to ask the schools. We're going to ask psychology. Who can change people safely? 
Well, we can. And so they've got that, that we could do it too, but you know, insurance is one of the reasons. The other, the other reason is you're going to find that it can organize some of the cases that you're looking at. They will tell you some things, like the DSM-4 or 5, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual that psychiatrists have come up with that psychologists use for coding. That, that whole thing can give you symptoms, but not explanations. And so there is somewhat a place. Uh, and I will say that I have often thought if I had another life, uh, I would put in there a little bit of this training just so I knew where some of these were coming from. But I find that with, with, if my goal is to change, see the transformation of people, I have found <laughs> the solution and I don't have as much time to look at all those other things when I'm developing this thing more. You know? Now, one of the issues that seems to come up quite a bit now is the issue of trauma, right? Like yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder. You'd find that in the DSM-5. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what's the biblical take on trauma? Do you, what would be the biblical description of it? How real is it to people? Why do you think there seems to be more people claiming trauma now than ever before? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's, we want to, we always want to, uh, when we're suffering from something, you, you and I both know this, we, we want to find a reason for it that isn't something I have to change first. Is this is my body? And it goes back to, again, a crisis that you've experienced and your response to that. I think the biblical view of trauma is that you can go through a very traumatic experience and it's, it's your response to that. It's what's, been, it's what's motivating your response is the most problematic, not what happened to you, but how you responded to that over the years. And that sounds very condemning, but it also it doesn't have to be. It's very helpful. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ, Psalm 16, uh, I think it's verse 9, he says, I have set the Lord before me at all times because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken greatly. Didn't say he wouldn't be shaken. So when you go through trauma, you're shaken. But now how do you set the Lord before you so that you won't be greatly shaken, moved off of what your responsibility is? I think the, 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 the trauma, we've gone through trauma as a, as a world in the last three years. And so you would expect that trauma counseling would get center stage. But it's just a new way of saying what psychology said for a long time, and that is the most important thing about you is what has happened to you. Because what's happened to you is where the problems begin. It is what's nurtured you. And you've been through COVID, you've been through other traumas. And so because of that, you're stuck, really, uh, in that experience. Uh, But you need to move from just what happened to you to, what do I believe that helps me? You know, David said in Psalm 27, verse 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so... What do you believe in trauma? What do you believe right now after trauma? We've got to inventory that, and we've got to move you back to the truth of who God is, not in an unfeeling, uncaring way like, well, you just get this, you'll be perfect. No. 
people will walk with a limp sometimes the rest of their life after that. But they will walk limping, relying upon God. David, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, he said, Brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed of what happened to us in Asia. We were despairing of even life itself. Think about that. The, the Apostle Paul, despairing. He went through trauma, shipwreck. And he gave this whole list in 2 Corinthians, right? And he said, but this happened. This ha- Listen, not so that we would like walk and run perfect after that. So that we would not rely upon ourselves, but upon the God who raises the dead. That was Paul's way of saying how he dealt with trauma. He used it to say, this is why God did that. Oh, so that I would rely upon him. Wow, I kind of want to not limp in life. Anyone with me on that? I want to have my own two feet, thank you very much. I don't want to have the health issues. I don't have the panic attacks coming out of that. But that all taught Tim Bryant how to rely upon his God in ways that perfection couldn't have, perfect circumstances. Well, one final question. Uh, somebody sitting in the audience, they're like, I'm really intrigued by biblical counseling. What would be a good book for them to read? If you had to just pick one book. I know you read one book by Jay Yadis. Yeah. I kind of started down the path. So what book would you recommend? And then what would be some preliminary steps that they should take? Yeah. Um, there's so many good books out there. I personally have, uh, it depends on what kind of reader you are, but if you're very serious about it, I really uh, have benefited from the introduction to biblical counseling that Wayne Mack wrote, uh, 80, 90% of that, but John MacArthur has his name on the effort, right? That is sell it. <laughs> but that intro to biblical counseling, and if you can get the older version, I would do that because the older version has the Puritans in there and has some other things in there that I think is even better. It's thicker. I don't know why they shrunk it. Do you know why? I don't either. But there's some other very good new books out too um, on, on biblical counseling. But that's just the one that I have a connection with. And of course, you have the standard classic by Jay Adams, The Theology of Christian Counseling or The Christian Counselor's Manual. Those are two, two very good books. That was early on, you know, 70s. Um, but as far as what do you do now, we, we actually uh, are all about multiplying uh, the ministry of biblical counseling. Uh, through our experience, what we've learned, try to invest in others. Our, our three M's, so to speak, of our ministry is to minister the word. That's often in, in counseling context, one soul at a time. But to also uh, mentor counselors uh, through supervising, like with Dave and many others. Who are here is in uh, the biblical counseling training right now through the ministry? Maybe just, does people know, is it okay if they stand? Do people know who they are? I think it's okay if it's okay with you guys. Okay. They, don't, they, don't, they don't want to stand. Well, we'll make them stand. <laughs> okay, make them stand. You're the pastor, make them stand. Stand up if you're in the process. <laughs> yeah, these are, these are the uh, people in, our, in the training here, so we're thankful for that. So he's, you go to them if you've got any questions, okay? There That's you right. go. <laughs> but we're, we're all about mentoring counselors because we believe that we are to invest in others what God has invested to us. And we don't know everything about counseling, but we have seen enough and impacted enough that we believe we need to try to multiply, and that's our last M. So we have this program called Step Up, and it's you get a moderator each month, and you go online, you get trained, 
and uh, you get connected with and you start that process of what a lot of your folks have done. And um, we believe that, we call it step up because the reality is all of you in this room, you have the calling and the giftedness to encourage one another's faith and growth. Did you know that? If you look at the one another's of scripture, there are many and most of them have that as a goal. I want you to encourage others by being hospitable, by uh, doing things that serving one another in love and uh, using whatever gift you have to help each other. So those are, you're encouraging the faith of each other. Uh, your vision of God growing through suffering. You're, you're present as an encourager. Right now you're sitting in this room next to somebody. You're present more than other people are. You're, you're giving them uh, a positive view of the future by faith. This is encouragement. This is what we all have been called to do. That's why encourage one another stir as you meet together. Well, counseling is that. And you don't have to be a counselor to encourage. But you are called to encourage. So the first step of our program, for those who go through Step Up, it's to say, we want to teach you to give biblical encouragement. Open the Bible, like the five questions in fear. Train you with things like tools, real quick, that you can have ready to help each other. Not hit each other over the head, but encourage. And if a person does that, encourages others, uh, we say, hey, maybe God has called you to more based on the results, the fruit of being an encourager. You'll, you'll, you'll see. The next step, we call it coaching, which is where you team up with a counselor in order to lead half the sessions under that counselor's help. Not on your own, You're not, but he'll just kind of give you an agenda, give you a tool. Hey, here's a resource. Take them through this. Here's a discipleship way. Let's, uh, the counselor's going to get deeper, but you're going to coach them in that deep. You're going to coach them to do their homework, to meditate on the word. So the church needs encouragers, all of you called to it, and then some out of that will find that they have this gift of personalized discipleship where they want to coach. And then out of that, if God has given you some uh, fruit out of that, we want to test, church would want to lay hands on you, so to speak, and commission and say, you know what? You've proved yourself as a biblical encourager. You've proved yourself as a gifted coach. We think you ought to go deeper and become a lead counselor. And then you might pass out and get scared, right? No, which you, what's the worst that could happen, right, if you counsel? What is it? It just, yeah, it, gets, it could be bad. But you're, you'll get sued, too. Yeah. <laughs> the church. Well, Tim, thank we, you so much. You bet. So we're going to hear from you yeah. during our... Yeah. What are you preaching on? Uh, becoming by beholding, uh, you know, uh, the divine perspective of change, you know, using God's glories practically okay. and persuasively. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to that. Okay. Let me pray real quickly, then we'll take a break, and we'll start again in about 10 minutes. Okay. Well, Father, we do thank you for Tim and his ministry, that he came all the way out here to kind of mentor the church and just open our eyes to the private ministry of the Word. And I pray that we will all uh, just really have a great view of um, the sufficiency of scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit to change and transform people's lives and that we will take steps of faith when you give us the opportunity uh, to speak that truth into their lives. We pray that this next worship service will be honoring to you and deeply edifying in Christ's name. Amen.